You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week three of the study In His Image. Today's teaching is entitled, God Most Good. So I'm going to start by defining good. That in itself can be tricky since some things that are good are based totally on subjective views, opinions, or feelings. My husband would describe pizza with massive, thick globs of cheese as good, very good. I would describe it as gross. I do like cheese on my pizza, but not like he does. Good can be based on personal preferences. However, when describing God, and then later when describing how we should reflect him, good does have a more objective meaning. Some definitions I found, good as an adjective, to be desired or approved of, high quality, pure, moral, conscientious, worthy, exemplary, outstanding, admirable. Good as a noun, morally right, righteousness, a benefit or advantage to someone or something. In the Old Testament, I found a few different Hebrew words used, but the most common was tob, T-O-B, which means pleasant, agreeable, beneficial, best, favorable, splendid, upright. And in the New Testament, there were two Greek words often used, agathos and kalos. Some meanings were beautiful, better, commendable, fair, fine, honest, honorable, what is right, valuable, or virtuous. Excellent in its nature and characteristics, praiseworthy and noble. In reference to God, A.W. Tozer defined good as kind-hearted, gracious, benevolent in intention. He said the Lord's goodness is the drive behind all the blessings he daily bestows on us. Scripture makes it very clear that God is good and all he does is good. And as with all of God's attributes, he is good eternally, always has been, always will be. He is infinitely and perfectly good. There are no degrees to his goodness. It can never be to a lesser amount. And he is immutably good, never changes. He cannot be anything other than good. Arthur Pink wrote, there is such an absolute perfection in God's nature and being that nothing is wanting to it or defective in it, and nothing can be added to it to make it better. He goes on to explain that God is originally good, good of himself. His goodness is underived. It is the very essence of his eternal nature. There's a Latin phrase, summum bonum, which means the chiefest or highest good. We could even say, as long as there are no grammar purists in the room, that it is the goodest good. And that is what God is. Only God, always God. Pure, exemplary, morally right, praiseworthy. I found this fact really interesting that the original Saxon meaning of our English word God is the good. Since God is only good, always good, then it logically follows that everything which emanates from God is good. Psalm 119.68 states, you are good and do good. 
teach me your statutes. We're all familiar with Genesis chapter one and Jen highlighted this in her chapter. The creation account when Almighty God merely spoke the world into being. And six times we find the phrase, it was good or God saw that it was good. And verse 31 reads, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Indeed, his creation is very good, all he planned and designed. How creation itself provides food for every type of living creature. How plants need carbon dioxide and give off oxygen, and we need oxygen and give off carbon dioxide. And the variety in creation. Did you ever reflect on the fact that God could have made everything one color, but instead he gave us such a range of beauty? I love the springtime when all the trees are budding and I'm always struck by how many different shades of just the color green there are. God could have made all fruits and vegetables taste the same, but in his goodness, he gave us a plethora of flavors for our enjoyment. And not just the physical world around us. David in Psalm 139.14 states, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I realize there may be days when your body doesn't feel so wonderful. The older I get, the more I can relate to that. But truly, we are amazingly designed. We have eyelids to protect our eyeballs. Our eyes produce tears so they don't dry out. Our nostrils have little hairs that act as filters. Our thumbs can move independently of our fingers, but also work in tandem with them. And the list goes on. Scripture has much to say about the goodness of God in other ways also. Psalm 106.1, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. In God's goodness, his love for us is steadfast and eternal. Ina talked about that last week. Jeremiah 33.11 charges to give thanks to the Lord of hosts for the Lord is good for I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. In God's goodness, he promises to restore what had been described in the previous verse as desolate, a waste. And that's exactly what he does for each of us upon our salvation. Note the words proceeding for the Lord is good, that we are to give thanks to him for his goodness. I fear that sometimes in my life I neglect to do that. So many ways he is abundantly good, but I take them for granted. I woke up today. I can walk. I can talk. I see his created beauty all around me as soon as I step outside. I have people I love who love me. I have his word at my disposal. I have a room waiting for me in heaven. Arthur Pink says, gratitude is not felt because we daily experience his constant goodness in so many ways, in unnoticed ways. And I think we do take it for granted. And instead, we focus on hardships or trials and secretly we wonder about God's goodness in my life. If only I chose to dwell on the endless list of how he is my good, good father who is perfect in all his ways. 
Psalm 31:19 reads, "Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. His goodness is plentiful, more than we can imagine and certainly more than we deserve." Psalm 34:8 instructs the reader to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. God in his goodness protects us, provides a safe place for us, and assures us that we are blessed when we take refuge in him, not in ourselves, not in others, not in the world. Another Psalm of David, 145 and verse nine. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. God's goodness is evident in his mercy that he generously pours out on us. One of my favorite scripture passages is Isaiah 43, one through three. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God. Note that it says, when you pass through the waters or the fire, not if. But the promise is that the water will not overwhelm us and the fire will not burn. We have two choices when we read these verses. We can dwell on the water and the fire and doubt God's goodness, or we can focus on his promise to bring us through and praise him for his good protection and presence. Psalm 86.5 gives another assurance. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. His goodness is manifested in the forgiveness he promises to those who call upon him. And what comfort we find in Jesus' words in Matthew 7.11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He shares his goodness with us. He gives us good gifts. I am not here endorsing a name it, claim it theology. We need to allow God to define the good because he is perfectly wise and loving. He knows best what gifts we need. We cannot allow our emotions or feelings to define good. Are we willing to allow God to choose the good for us, even if it isn't always pleasant or comfortable, even if we have a hard time seeing any good in the moment? Not only does he give good gifts, but he can make good out of situations that are anything but, are in fact evil. I don't have time to go fully into the story of Joseph. It may be familiar to many of you. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers out of their jealousy of him. His father believed he had been killed by a wild animal. Later, when living in Egypt, he rose to prominence and held a key position 
but he was falsely accused of adultery and placed in prison. A lot of not so good stuff happened to him, but God clearly had his hand of protection on Joseph. And through him, his family, as well as countless others were saved from famine. And his family came to live in Egypt, a key to God fulfilling his perfect plan and covenant promise. When his brothers fall down before him in shame for what they had done, and they worry about what he may do to them, Joseph replies in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 20, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. As we consider the story of Joseph, it's hard to see any good in a lot of it. But we do not have the wisdom or foreknowledge that God has. He knows the end. He sees all of eternity. He has the big picture and the greater good in mind. The question is not, can God make good? He can. The question is, will we trust him, his character, even when we don't see the good? Romans 8.28 that Jackie actually prayed is a very popular verse to quote, especially to someone enduring a trial. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But we often fail to continue reading onto verse 29, which highlights that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Perhaps in certain seasons, that may be the good that he's working out, that we would be conformed more to his image, even if it means the difficulty we are facing continues. God is good, which means Jesus is good, always, only, eternally. In John chapter 10, verses 14 through 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So many ways we see the goodness of Jesus in just these two verses. A shepherd cares for and leads and protects his sheep. So Jesus does for us. Jesus knows us, and he can be and wants to be known by us. And the ultimate goodness, he lays down his life for us. In fact, God's pinnacle of goodness on our behalf was sending Jesus to redeem us through his death and resurrection. It is not, it's truly not, but even if that were the only good that God ever did for us, would that not be enough? So we see that God always acts out of goodness and the piercing question is, do we? And unfortunately, I think we all know the answer. So let's allow scripture to instruct us and challenge us and hopefully transform us into people who more often do reflect the goodness of God. The starting place is a verse I read earlier, Psalm 34, eight. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The Hebrew word for taste means to perceive. 
and it is a perception that distinguishes. Do you know the goodness of God to the level that you can perceive it in your life? Distinguish it as his hand of blessing on you, his perfect plan for you. If not, then continue to meditate on his word. Spend time with him that you may taste and see. And once you have then be sure to rejoice in that. In Exodus 18.9, we read that Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done. Earlier, I read verse 9 of Psalm 145. Verse 7 says, They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. What will increase our desire to do good? is to eagerly remember the Lord's abundant goodness, to focus on that. Equally important is to be satisfied with his goodness. Jeremiah 31, 14 reads, I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Are we content with the goodness that God has chosen to show us? Or do we look at other people and wish that's the goodness we had? If we're not satisfied, then we will lack the desire to be good to others. We need to dwell on his goodness, share stories with one another as a constant reminder. And Isaiah 117 instructs us to learn to do good. Did you catch the word choice? Learn. Obviously, doing good doesn't come naturally to us because we are just oh-so-good people. We must learn. And the rest of the verse goes on to list some ways we can do that. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Romans 2.7 talks about those who by patience in well-doing, or in the New American Standard, it says who by perseverance in doing good. Clearly, we have to not only learn to do good, but also to persevere in it. The Greek word for perseverance means patient, enduring, steadfastness. We need to be intentional and rely on the Spirit's help. In Matthew 25, Jesus relates a parable which describes one of the qualities of a good servant. Before the master leaves on a journey, he gives a specific number of talents to three servants. And the first two act wisely and double the talents they received. But the third buries his in the ground and gains nothing. The master commends the first two and says in verse 21, "'Well done, good and faithful servant.'" You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. One aspect of goodness seems to center on being wise stewards of the gifts he has blessed us with. Everyone in this room has been gifted in a unique way by the Holy Spirit. Do we use those gifts to bring glory to our master and to multiply the kingdom? In Luke 10, the story is told of the two sisters, Mary and Martha, hosting Jesus in their home. And Martha's running around, well, kind of like I would be, trying to prepare everything, make it nice for the Lord. And it's understandable, right? He's a pretty important house guest. Meanwhile, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening intently. The nerve, right? So Martha complains to the Lord about this situation, asking Jesus to make Mary help her. 
And Jesus' response is definitely not what she wanted to hear or expected. In verse 41, we read, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about so many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. How do we pursue the good in our daily life? By setting our priorities by spending time listening intently to Jesus. Now that's not to say it's wrong to clean your house or cook food. I don't want your husbands to be mad at me. We need to take care of our homes. But if we want to attain goodness, we must choose what is good. Time with Jesus is essential. Paul in Romans 12, 21 exhorts us not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. It is so easy to be discouraged by the evil around us. But what if instead that we try to counter it with good? Several years ago, the homosexual community scheduled a massive protest and boycott of Chick-fil-A because of the restaurant corporation's stance against gay marriage. And on the day of this huge protest, and boycott, the employees of Chick-fil-A took cups of cold lemonade out to all those evil, angry protesters. That's how to overcome evil with good, by doing good even to your enemies, which by the way is another biblical command, even to our enemies. Peter gives similar instruction in chapter 3, verse 11. He's talking about whoever desires to love life and see good days. He informs them they must turn away from evil and do good. And Amos, in, in um, the Old Testament, exhorts in 5.14 to seek good and not evil, that you may live and so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. Again, we see it has to be intentional to seek good and the assurance is that we will have the Lord with us when we do that. Galatians 6.10 states, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Note in the beginning where Paul said, as we have opportunity. I used to pray that God would give me opportunities to show love and to share the good news of him. And then I realized that that is not the prayer I needed to utter. There are opportunities all around me every day. Now I pray that God would give me the eyes to see them and a willing heart to do them. We know from Galatians 5 that goodness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And our abiding in the true vine Jesus should mean that we are producing good fruit in our life. That goodness is evident in us. It is a fruit we are to display with the Spirit's help. And what does it look like? According to our definition, morally right, benefits someone else, admirable. Goodness means we are honest, honorable, kind-hearted, gracious. And we do this because of our gratitude to the Lord for his abounding goodness in our life. Trust in his goodness even when you do not feel it or see it. Charles Spurgeon said, never tolerate unbelief as to God's goodness. Whatever else may be questioned, this is absolutely certain, that Jehovah is good. His dispensations may vary, but his nature is always the same. 
In C.S. Lewis's series, The Chronicle of Narnia, the little girl Susan asks Mr. Beaver about Aslan, the lion, the king, who if you're not familiar with those stories represents Jesus Christ. And Susan asks, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver replies, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Ladies, we worship a very good king, the goodest good. And because that is who he is, everything he does is only good. Believe that, trust that, and then rejoice and praise him. And how best to say thank you by displaying goodness in your life to those around you. We're gonna end this teaching time with a song after I pray. You're probably familiar with the song, The Goodness of God. Feel free to sing along or feel free to make it your prayer and just listen. Either way, I encourage you to allow the words to both comfort and challenge you. I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. And I have lived in the goodness of God. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Note that there is no mention of feeling. There's acknowledgement of the truth. God has been faithful and good and has held us every day. He has led us through the fire. And there's action to be taken on our part. I will lay down my life. I will surrender. I will give you everything. I will sing of the goodness of God. Father God, my words are so inadequate to thank you for your goodness. You are a good, good Father. We love you, Lord. Thank you that in your goodness you pour out your love on us. Amen. Amen.